Welcome to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I am your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. And I hope that sharing my experiences can help you feel that you're not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. And I have great news to share with you. FASD Family Life Podcast has surpassed 5,500 downloads since its March in 2021. So thank you for sharing the podcast with the people in your life and on your social media. I'm thrilled to hear from parents and caregivers just like you. And so if you have a question about something you've heard on the podcast, or you have a question you'd like me to address, you can email the show at FASDFamilyLife at gmail.com. And I don't know if you caught it, but I had a lot of fun in my summer series, Talk to the Experts, as I got to know and speak with so many fascinating people with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. These amazing people are making a difference in their communities. Their strength, tenacity, and grace buoyed my mother's heart as my husband and I raised our three teenagers with FASD. These adults gave me hope for better days ahead. And they exemplify the statement, the struggle is real, but so is success. In the summer, I also had the privilege of speaking with and learning from other parents who are raising children with this invisible disability. Man, it's wonderful to meet other parents who understand our lived experience, isn't it? Make sure you never miss another episode of FASD Family Life by subscribing to the podcast. When you subscribe, every new episode will appear automatically in your phone, iPad, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help others find FASD Family Life because when you subscribe, it signals to the algorithms that this podcast is relevant to people who want to know more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Well, here we are, my friends, episode 31 of FASD Family Life podcast, and I am so grateful to be spending this time with you. Let's share a cup of coffee and chat parent to parent. Today, we're going to talk about teenagers. Yep, teenagers. I know adolescence is a difficult time for children and their parents. It was when you were a kid too. I wonder if like me, you have gone back to your parents to apologize for giving them such a hard time when you were a kid. I know I sure have. And raising young people with FASD is next level parenting. Some days it can be a lot. FASD comprises a range of mental, emotional, and craniofacial, physiological, and immune disorders, which arise from maternal alcohol consumption during pregnancy. Individuals may be affected with hyperactivity, depression, anxiety, lifelong problems coping with stress, and or many other disorders that impair their quality of life. At the molecular level, many intertwined causal factors contribute to FASD, leading to the varied impacts seen in individuals. So that one individual with FASD may present very differently than another. Among the factors, FASD is intimately tied to the hyper-stress response and anxiety disorders that are connected to the dysregulation of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal HPA functions. 
And this dysregulation of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis functions results in lifelong impairments and may manifest in mental disorders and sensitivity to stress. Now, I remember being on a panel with Dr. Jackie Pye of the University of Alberta as she was presenting the findings from the Toward Better Outcomes Project. And when Dr. Pye stated that research indicates that 93% of individuals with FASD will have co-occurring mental health disorders, my heart broke. 93%. Those aren't just statistics. Those are my kids. Many individuals with FASD also have attachment disruptions. In fact, 80% of people with FASD grow up in adoption, kinship care, foster homes with grandparents. So when I read the headline, adoptees four times more likely to attempt suicide in an article of Medscape Medical News, it really hit home. Adolescence is a challenging time for young people and their parents. And the struggle is real. Look at those statistics. 93% of individuals will go on to have a co-occurring mental health disorder. Adoptees are at, at a risk four times greater than their peers of attempting suicide. It's really hard stuff. And adolescence is really a challenging time for young people and their parents. First of all, because a young, the young person's brain and body are undergoing such rapid changes internally and externally, and that wreaks havoc on their emotions and their decision-making. And as parents, we may wonder where our clever, helpful, engaging child has gone. Trust me, that core person is still there, but they are under construction at the moment. And it's kind of like when our roads are under construction and there may be barriers, narrowed rates narrowed lanes, detours, and loads of frustration, but losing our cool won't help us get through it any faster. Our daily drive may take a little longer, but with patience, we will reach our destination safe and sound. Our teens need us to be patient with them because they are under construction too. And our teens with FASD have a myriad of other challenges in addition to just typical adolescence. I'm going to read to you from a research article that I read on raisingchildren.net.au. This is from Australia. It says that children's brains have a massive growth spurt when they're very young. By the time they are six years old, their brains are already 90 to 95% of adult size. And the early years are a critical time for brain development, but their brain still needs a lot of remodeling before it can function as an adult brain. Now, if our kids have been in foster care, adoption, disrupted placements, um, maybe have experienced some trauma prenatally and postnatally, maybe there's been abuse, um, then these things have potentially have happened in these first six years, and that has devastating effects on that developing brain. And we can't forget that when we're raising our teens. The brain remodeling happens intensively during the teen years, continuing into their mid-20s. Brain change depends on age, experience, and hormonal changes in puberty. And for individuals with FASD, this development is significantly delayed, with their adult brain coming online in their 30s. So individuals with FASD have scattered development. Often their social, cognitive, and emotional development is only half of their chronological age. And it may they may function even less than that if they are sick or stressed. Adolescence is a significant time of growth and development inside the teenage brain. 
The main change is that the unused connections in the thinking and processing part of your child's brain, called the gray matter, are being pruned away. At the same time, other connections are being strengthened. This is the brain's way of becoming more efficient based on the use it or lose it principle. This pruning begins at the back of the brain, which is interesting to me because it also happens to be the first part of the brain to develop in utero. A child's brain grows from the bottom up and inside out during the prenatal period. So brains exposed to alcohol, nicotine, meth, cocaine, and other substances during pregnancy will be negatively impacted by these substances. And the timing and dosing of these substances will have a direct impact on the brain and fetal development. So there's no safe amount of alcohol, nicotine, meth, or other street drugs to use during pregnancy. In adolescence, the pruning begins at the back of the brain. The front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is remodeled last. The prefrontal cortex is the decision-making part of the brain, and it's responsible for your child's ability to plan and think about consequences of actions, solve problems, and control impulses. Changes in this part of the brain continue to develop into early adulthood, and for individuals with FASD, this development will be impaired and delayed. Many of the adults with FASD that I have spoken to have said that their 20s were still their youth and that their adult brain begins to come online around 30, but with more development even after that. Because the prefrontal cortex is still developing, teenagers might rely on the part of the brain called the amygdala to make decisions and solve problems more than adults do. The amygdala is associated with emotions, impulses, aggression, and instinctive behavior. Ah, that's all starting to make sense now, isn't it? When faced with challenging behaviors, we also need to consider sleep. A teen that does not get enough sleep is not altogether different than an overtired two-year-old. And we all know how much we enjoy being around that child. It's recommended that a typical teen gets 8 to 12 hours of sleep daily. That's a lot of sleep. However, sleep issues are the most common co-occurring issue with individuals with FASD. Research indicates that 80 to 85% of individuals with FASD have sleep issues. And chronic poor sleep has deteriorating effects on cognitive processes, language skills, emotional regulation, stress response system, memory, integrating new information and mental health. The very areas that are already impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure. And so without enough sleep, these problems are even worse. We cannot underestimate the impact of prenatal substance exposure that our kids have experienced. Well, I focus a lot on prenatal alcohol exposure on the FASD family life. Statistically, the odds of alcohol being the only substance used during pregnancy are fairly low. Our kids may have also been exposed to smoking during their prenatal period. Smoking during pregnancy exposes the fetus to many harmful chemicals, which limit the fetus's supply of oxygen and delivery of nutrients. Nicotine permanently damages the developing baby's brain and lungs. And what about methamphetamines? With the increasing numbers of methamphetamine users, meth use during pregnancy is a growing health concern. One U.S. study of meth-related emergency room visits found that more than 400,000 
reproductive aged women reported using meth in the prior months. Another study found that meth was the primary substance requiring treatment during pregnancy between the years of 1994 and 2006. Infants prenatally exposed to methamphetamines are at significant risk of experiencing more serious health problems, including increased mortality in the mother and her child, premature birth, low birth weight, heart defects, retinal defects, cleft lip and palate, malformation of the ribs, and slowed physical growth. So if your children, like mine, have come to you through kinship care, foster care, and or adoption, they have also experienced the trauma of disrupted attachment from their biological mother. And what we know about early childhood trauma is that their effects do not just add up, they multiply. Alcohol, nicotine, and meth are all prenatal traumas on the cellular level of your kids and mine. Our children will have brain and body disabilities, including a variety of impairments to their mental, physical, and emotional health for their lifetime. And we may not see these effects of the traumas in the early days, in the child infancy, and in their early years, though we may see things like failure to thrive, poor attachment, feeding problems, sleeping problems, indiscriminate attachment, over-talkative, under-talkative, slow-to-reach milestones, We will certainly see them in the school years with ADHD-like behaviors, struggles in school, emotional outbursts, difficulty understanding how cause leads to effect, frustration and tolerance issues, ODD-like behaviors, sensory processing challenges, and many more. These challenging behaviors are symptoms of the brain injury from the myriad of traumas that our kids have already experienced and have fundamentally changed the structure and the function of their brains. So when it feels like your kid and mine are giving us a hard time, they are signaling to us that they are having a hard time. Because of the impairments to their brain development, the structural and functional changes to their brain from prenatal substance exposure and the developmental trauma are permanent. Our kids cannot get better or grow out of it. Tough love will not work. Hoping to change behavior by using natural and logical consequences will not work. These behaviors are symptoms of their physical disability. Accommodations, patience, reteaching, supervision, structure, developmentally appropriate individualized interventions work. If you and I can adapt and we can meet our children where they are developmentally and cognitively, with calm, confidence, love, and patience, the stress in our homes will decrease. We really can turn things around by applying the lens of attachment theory, trauma-informed care, and FASD brain-based parenting. When we are confronted with aggression, yelling, running away, shutting down, slamming doors, kicking walls, self-harming, substance abuse, We are witnessing signals that the environment and our expectations are not the right fit for our children. Noncompliance is a defensive response to a noncompetency, meaning that the person blows up or shuts down because they do not understand what is expected of them, or they do not have the ability to meet the expectation. It is at this very moment that we have an incredible opportunity to build relationship with our teen or tear it all to pieces with the words we say.
What we do in response matters a lot. Our response determines their reaction. If you fight fire with fire, you'll both get burned. And it's really difficult to come back from a wound like that. But if we can see our child through the lenses of brain-based disability, attachment, and trauma, we can see that this is a matter of can't rather than won't. In that moment, we can open our arms to our child and say, I see this is hard for you. Offer the hug. Stay in the moment. Let them soften. Gently ask, what do you need? How can I help? Let your child tell you what accommodations they need. Let them tell you what is hard. Maybe they need single-step instructions. Maybe they need to eat right after school before you can ask them to do anything. And if they flip out and F-bomb you, do not respond. This is, a, this is not a teachable moment, nor is it personal. Their brain's stress response system is highly activated. Stay quiet. Give them some space to settle down. You can try to reconnect later. Individuals with FASD have a hypersensitive stress response system. Remember that HPA access? And they will need more time to recover from their stress response. Additionally, many individuals with FASD have sensory processing difficulties. Sensory processing, put simply, is what our brains do with the stimuli or the information comes to us through our seven senses. Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, touch, as well as our proprioceptive and vestibular sense. All the sensory systems need to work together for effective sensory processing. Sensory processing is the effective registration and accurate interpretation of the sensory input in the environment, including inside one's body. It is the way the brain receives, organizes, and responds to the sensory input in order to behave in a meaningful and consistent manner. Children who have difficulty processing sensory information have what's known as sensory processing disorder. If a child has difficulty with sensory processing, they might have a poor attention span, demonstrate inappropriate behavior, be overly active, being lethargic and lacking in speed of an activity. They may have difficulty in learning and retaining new skills, be uncomfortable, be unable to comfortably manage crowds or group settings show immature social skills, and suffer from heightened anxiety. If you're interested to learn more about sensory processing disorders, CAN-FASD is hosting a webinar about sensory issues and FASD and the benefits of occupational therapy on October 29th, 2021. And you can find information at www.canfasd.ca. Now, there's no exhaustive list of accommodations for individuals with FASD because Each person with FASD is unique with their own interests, strengths, brain deficits, DNA, and trauma history. So just like each person who requires glasses has a custom pair made just for them to suit their personality, their lifestyle, and their distinctive needs of their eyes, so too individuals with brain-based disabilities require accommodations and adaptations according to their particular circumstances. I think that we all need customized accommodations to optimize our ability. Parents, you are an important part of your child's environment. You mean a lot to your child, even if they tell you otherwise. And believe me, a teenager will tell you otherwise. 
But in fact, research tells us that a stable placement is the number one protective factor for a child with FASD. You may have heard me say that before, but let me explain what I mean. A stable placement is far more than a loving home. In fact, if that's all you've got, you will soon feel yourself getting frustrated because all of your love and best intentions are not bringing about the changes you had hoped that they would. Your good intentions and traditional consequence-based parenting will actually cause more harm to your child and bring out the secondary disabilities associated with FASD. Yes, your teen with FASD needs your love, but they also need you to dig in and really understand fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, attachment, and trauma-informed parenting because they have been profoundly hurt in ways that we cannot see. They have a physical disability. And often the only indications are in their behavioral symptoms. And that's why you'll hear me say that parents and caregivers need training, training, and more training. If you think you've had enough training, you need more training. If you're curious about FASD training, contact your local FASD network, or you can email me at FASDFamilyLife at gmail.com, and I'll share training resources with you. We also need coaching someone who can come alongside and help us put all that training into practice and talk us off the proverbial cliff from time to time as well. And I'm always happy to receive emails from listeners who ask me for advice or coaching with a particular situation. We also need to acknowledge the grief and loss experienced by all parents raising a child with a disability. Life has not turned out as we expected, far from it. And we face challenges stress, and heartaches that other parents raising typically developing children do not. And as was mentioned on my Airing Our Dirty Laundry episode with Christine Bofenkamp, grief and loss is part of our story. We need to work through it in order to move on and serve our kids really well. Stress will have a terrible toll on our lives too if we don't process it. We also need respite. We need time to rest, to put down our guard, to remember who we were before life got crazy. And we need to build a circle of support for our kids and ourselves. We need friends who get it because they're in it too. We need friends who are raising kids with FASD because they will relate to us in ways that no one else can. And without these five keys to building a stable placement, so that's training, coaching, grief and loss work, respite, and having a circle of support. Without those five keys, our tensions will rise. Frustration and resentment will grow. Relationships will fracture and we will burn out. The idea that my kids had a permanent physical disability clicked in for me when I read about Dr. Sterling Claren, who in the course of research came to understand that the damage caused to the brain and the body by alcohol exposure in the womb constituted a physical disability. As such, individuals with FAS or FASD require environmental adaptations and accommodations to enable them to reach their full potential as does any person with a physical disability. I mean, we do not call a blind child stubborn because they don't read the whiteboard at the front of the classroom. We do not tell the child in the wheelchair that they're lazy when they do not wheel themselves up a flight of stairs. But too often we say our kids are lazy, stubborn, disrespectful, liars, aggressive. When what we are really seeing are symptoms of a brain injury from prenatal substance exposure and from trauma. 
we fight with ourselves and our spouses by asking if the behavior is willful or a symptom of FASD. We get frustrated with children and teens who have been in our homes only for a short while when they do not meet our expectations. My kids and your kids have a permanent brain injury, a physical disability that will be with them their entire lives. They need accommodations today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of their lives. Like a person with diabetes needs insulin, a person with hearing loss needs a hearing aid, or a person who's lost a limb will require adaptive services. So do our kids. So how do we meet them where they're at? Well, we do so with confidence, calmness, gentleness, compassion, love, and joy. No, those aren't buzzwords and they're not soft words. It takes a great deal of personal strength to be calm, confident, and loving in the presence of someone who is uncertain, reactive, frightened, and overwhelmed. Confidence comes from understanding the disability our kids live with, shifting our thinking from behavior to brain, and learning what works and what doesn't. If our kids had diabetes, we would dig in and learn everything we could about diabetes, the intricacies of managing blood sugar in small children, teens, and young adults. We would learn to anticipate blood sugar spikes and crashes in response to illness, fatigue, or exercise. We would become confident managers of our children's blood sugar to optimize their growth and their health. We wouldn't question if a child's hostility um, was behavior or blood sugar. We would instantly do an analysis of the probable cause of the mood dysregulation, and then we would give our kids something to eat or check their blood sugar. It's the very same thing with FASD. What if disrespectful is actually sensory processing disorder, poor executive function, past trauma, being bullied at school? What if lying is actually confabulation? due to poor working memory, poor executive function, sensory processing disorder, and developmental dismaturity? What if lazy is actually mental and physical fatigue, sensory processing disorder, executive function challenges, fear of failure based on past experiences? What if aggression is actually sensory processing disorder, executive function challenges, a fear response, a defensive posture stemming from a poor environmental fit, inability to meet our expectations, getting in trouble for primary characteristics of the disability and for developmental dismaturity. What if stubborn is actually executive function challenges, which leads to rigid thinking, difficulty with abstract reasoning, developmental dismaturity, and so they just don't understand, or sensory processing challenges? If your team comes at you hot, don't react to it. It's probably not about you. Instead, run a few quick analysis. First, think HALT, H-A-L-T, and ask yourself, could they be hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Second, consider the ABCs of the presenting situation. A, what is the antecedent? What's caused this? B, what is the behavior? And C, what's the consequence? What happens when this behavior happens? And then third, think young. Ask yourself, what is the developmental stage my child is presenting in their ability to handle the situation? And then adjust your expectations of your child according to their developmental age. It is not uncommon for children and youth with FASD to have developmental delays of half their chronological age in areas of flexible thinking, 
abstraction, social skills, understanding time and money. This disparity in the developmental level becomes increasingly apparent and problematic as our children move into their teen years. As you can imagine, an eight-year-old with a developmental capacity of a four-year-old will have trouble making and keeping friends. They will seem younger than their peers, and they won't have the same interests or the same capacities. But when that same child is 16, they may have a developmental capacity of only six or eight years old in the areas of social skills, understanding complex language and physical boundaries. They might not yet understand things like ownership. And so you can see how this can lead them into highly vulnerable situations that are beyond their understanding, not to mention rejection from peers in their classrooms, sports teams, and in their community. So our kids are really stressed. Things are hard and they're not fitting in. So if you take a few seconds when your kid is presenting hot, you know, they're coming at you hot, they're angry, they're aggressive, they're talking back to you, or they're just non-compliant. If you take a a few seconds to run through these analysis, you will soon see that your child is not disrespectful. Rather, they may be hungry and tired. And once they eat and rest, they will be more regulated. They may seem defensive because they cannot meet your expectations. They may not know what is expected of them because they cannot remember what you asked them to do or were given too many instructions and they cannot hold all of that information in their brain due to the poor working memory. Or maybe it's not the right time of day and their brain function is not optimal, so they simply are too tired to engage in conversation or interact with others or follow instructions. For some individuals, this may be mornings, and for others, it may be after school or after work when they come home exhausted and their reserves are completely depleted. They may be experiencing sensory processing overload. Individuals with FASD require accommodations every day, sometimes moment to moment, to meet their full potential. And that's really good news. That means we can figure out where the deficits are and provide the accommodations for our kids to be at their best. We can figure out what our kids are good at, what their interests are, and we can build upon that to help them create fulfilling, meaningful life. When we accept our kids for who they are, their strengths, and their complex brain injury, we can repair our relationship with our kids. Now, this does not mean that life is easy. I still have days that feel like a thousand years. My circumstances have not changed. I'm still a parent of five kids, two adults and three teens four of whom have a brain-based disability from alcohol, trauma, and other substances in the womb. And that's not going to change. Each one will require understanding, support, and accommodations every day of every week of every year for the rest of their lives. I can't change that. But I can change how I respond to these needs and challenges that present in any given moment. And when I do better, my kids do too. You know, I would love to hear from you. Do you have any questions that you would like me to address on the show? What's your biggest struggle? You can email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com and I will do my best to address it via email and on the show so we can learn and grow together. If you like this episode, please do hit the subscribe button and share it with other people so we can all learn and grow together. And as always, thank you for sharing your time with me. I know it's precious. And until next week, remember, the struggle is real, but so is success. I'll talk with you soon.